James has been speaking about all kinds of things to uh, the church that was scattered. They were persecuted in Jerusalem. They had become believers in Jesus. And James, being the half-brother of Jesus, uh, is giving them instruction for setting up new life in a new place uh, with a brand new faith in Jesus. And so we talked in chapter 1 about trials and temptations, about being doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. So it's very action-oriented. We talked in chapter 2 about favoritism. Um, and about authentic faith last week. And if you remember, we talked a lot about how words um, aren't uh, all that God desires, that that we don't just give lip service to God, but we uh, have deeds along with our faith. Now this week, James pulls back and he says, whoa, 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 but let's make sure that we understand. Words are still important. And so we're talking about taming the tongue. Now, I don't know about you, I'm always amazed when I see those those different like National Geographic or Discovery Channel shows where they show all the different animals out there that people tame, like dolphins or monkeys or elephants or, man, there's all kinds of lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, there's all kinds of things that you uh, see folks tame. And yet at the same time, James says, but you can't tame the tongue. You can tame all these other things, but you can't tame the tongue. Let me ask you as we get started This evening, how well do you control your mouth? The people around you, uh, what would they say about the way you use your words? Are you uh, known for being encouraging? Are you known for speaking truth, for um, speaking Jesus into conversations? Are you one that's mostly a a gossip or a critic or a slanderer? Uh, Do people see you and think, man, that's 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 a critical person. Like if you hang around them, you're, you're just going to, you're not going to like it because they're just going to be critical about whatever. Uh, maybe you don't use your words much at all. You've got opportunity, but you, you don't. Or maybe you talk too much. There's a million things you can do with your words. But how well do you control your mouth? Jesus wants to be Lord over every part of your life, including your mouth. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. If you've got a Bible, feel free to open it up. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Let's walk through them. Uh, and then let's walk through all 12 verses, and then we will um, we'll break it down verse by verse after that. It says, verses 1 through 5, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. All right, three things we're going to learn about words tonight. Let's walk through this 
one chunk at a time. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5. Let's cover that together. The first thing we see is that words hold weight. Words hold weight. Verse 1 said, Dear brothers and sisters, that's all of us. Remember, over and over these passages, him being the half-brother of Jesus, he's welcoming us into the family, saying, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. So there's a weight, there's a burden, there's accountability. We know big picture um, that all of us will be held accountable for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. Scripture teaches that, but he says, for those of you who teach in the church, like there's a weight that sits on your shoulders. So I can get up here each week, I could um, hopefully teach God's word accurately, I could share silly stories and anecdotes to make it make sense. I could, whatever I do though, I'm going to be held accountable. Like it's a really, really big deal. And so he says, don't just jump into this. Don't just think, oh, you know what? I could be up on stage or I could teach no matter what, whether I'm teaching to uh, a dozen here or hundreds on a Sunday or if I'm in hutch thousands. It's a big deal. It's all God's word and it all um, will be held. I'll be held accountable for all of it. We're going to uh, do something different in the weeks to come. And I'm right now training several men in the church. We want to use this as a bit of a preaching lab. We want to get some guys some opportunities to teach and preach. And uh, every local church needs to have those opportunities. And so um, as I was contacting different guys and sitting down, one of them is a professor here in town. And, and he is very well spoken. Um, he's really good at his job. And yet when I told him about this, um, he felt the weight of it immediately. And he's like, I, I don't know that I can say yes. And it took him several days to process it because he realized, like, teaching in the church is a really, really big deal. And I uh, see that as a sign that he might be ready. There's a weight. Now, you think, okay, this is for those of us who, who are going to teach in the church. True. That's what James is referring to. But also, just being teachers. Like, if you're a school teacher, um, if you teach in any other capacity, like, you've got to take your words serious. Matter of fact, we live in a day and age where our culture, especially with social media, we all want to be teachers, and we often don't have any accountability. You ever see anyone jump on social media, maybe Facebook, and, and they go on a rant, and they even say, they like label it, here's a rant, and then they say, you know, I was in Walmart, and I saw some kid doing this, and his parents didn't discipline him, and they go on a big old rant, which they're teaching. They're saying, I'm going to tell you how you should take care of your kids. I'm telling you what you should do. Now, who is there to hold them accountable, Right? Don't presume to be teachers. Don't just jump into this and think that we can say whatever we want on social media or behind the scenes or, or wherever it might be. God holds us accountable. His words have weight. In verse 2, he said, indeed, we all make many mistakes. So this is the problem. We make mistakes. Sometimes I'll tell people, say, listen, if I'm teaching for 45 minutes, what are the chances that I'm going to say 45 minutes of like perfect things? Like I'm going to make mistakes. That's a, that's a weird feeling to know like, okay, I'm going to teach this sermon and I'm going to be held uh, accountable for every word I say. And yet I know I'm going to make mistakes at the same time. Like that's, that's kind of a terrible feeling to have. But he says, we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So verse 1 talks about accountability. We're going to be held accountable for our words. Verse 2 says, if you could control your tongue, you could control everything. I mean, think about it. This is like a gateway into all kinds of disciplines. If you could control your mouth, like you're not going to have an issue at the gym working out. <laughs> if you could control your mouth, you're probably not going to have a hard time studying Scripture daily and having a, a disciplined life with the Lord. If you can control your mouth, 
you're probably going to do okay with your diet. He's saying every other part of your life, your whole life, your whole body is dictated by this. Like everything, your diet, your, your workout routine, every other discipline is probably going to be easier than this one. Controlling your mouth. Man, he says this is, this is tough. He says in verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. You ever seen a wild horse and seen how they jump and run around and just how scary they are? They're just large animals. I, I think about um, seeing um, horses in Utah or even we've been to the Outer Banks out in North Carolina where there's wild horses running around. And like, you're like oh, these are horses. But then you realize like, these are wild horses. Like, you don't just walk up to them. Um, like if they kick you, I mean, this could be a, a terrifying thing. And he says, you can get a large horse and you can turn its body with a little bit put it in, in its mouth. That's what to break a horse, right? To tame a horse is. It, it controls and has power, huge amounts of impact, he says, your mouth has. So verse 3 is an illustration for verse 2. But then in verse 4, he gives another illustration. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So now he's saying, okay, your words, you're going to be held accountable for them. And, and when it comes to taming the tongue, like if you can control that, you can control everything. And your words make a huge impact. And now I'm telling you, your words steer your life. Like you are wherever you are because your words, to a degree, have gotten you here. He's saying you can have a big old ship and a big old ocean, but that small little rudder, wherever it turns, even against strong winds, like you're going to move in that direction steers your life in verse 5 causes destruction said in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire you see forest fires they're huge right they're often huge and, and yet one little spark started that whole thing you think about that how how, how much power a little spark has a big deal. You say, okay, this is a lot. It's a lot packed into five verses. Maybe maybe James is speaking in hyperbole. Like maybe he's overreacting. Like words are important, but they're not that crazy. No, he he's not. He's saying, this is a really, really big deal. You say, what comes out of your mouth? Like it dictates your life. This is a huge deal. Most of you guys know by now, and many of you have been praying, and we appreciate that greatly. About our wild weekend, Silas being bitten by a snake and um, poisonous snake and going to the hospital and he's been treated and he's out of the hospital. Everything is, is good now. Swelling has gone down uh, in the last day and, and um, there's just some bruising. But uh, when we were walking out to our car about 10 o'clock at night, we'd had a fun day. We were out at my sister's farm um, in the Flint Hills, south of Cottonwood Falls, and, um, and we'd been in the creek swimming we'd been fishing in the pond we'd been had a campfire like it was just a perfect kansas day and we were all exhausted and we had rented this place all of my brothers and sisters and parents um had rented this place in cottonwood falls and we were about to jump in our vehicles and, and go there and stay for the night and we we're walking out and uh, everyone was jumping in their vehicle they were backing up we we're all exhausted i saw some tail lights but mostly it was just pitch black and we were just walking to the car and then silas started screaming and he said Something, something bit me, and I immediately picked him up and looked down and saw something fat and squiggly going across just a foot or so from my foot. And, 
and I said, he, he got bit by a snake. And I'm thinking because there's a creek right there, there's probably a black snake. There's a million different kinds of snakes. So um, I wasn't thinking immediately that it was poisonous. And so I gave him to Tara. They ran inside. And um, and me and my brother-in-law were looking out in the grass. There's a big field next to it, but there was some mowed grass where we were. And, and uh, we were looking for the snake, didn't find it. So I said, well, the only other place it could be if outside of going to that field is under the car. So I jumped in my car and I backed up. Sure enough. Uh, there's that copperhead, a couple, two and a half feet long, um, curled up underneath the car. And we knew immediately, man, he's been bitten by a poison snake. And so we, we killed the snake and threw Silas in the car and raced off. We had six, seven miles of gravel roads to go through. And then um, they had called the hospital. They'd called the ambulance. So we met the ambulance in, in Cottonwood Falls, threw Silas in the back of that thing, realized he'd been bitten twice and, and thought, oh, my gosh, he's only 35 pounds and, and you don't know at that point, like, what is going to happen? Is he going to, um, is he going to die? Is he going to, I mean, like, at this point, you just don't know what's going to happen. And so it was pretty terrifying. But we went to the hospital. They gave him some antivenom. Out of all the hospitals in Kansas that has antivenom, he just happened to stumble on one in Emporia. And then they transferred him to Topeka, to the ICU, and he got three more vials of antivenom. And, um, and within 12 or so hours, he started to, to do a lot better. But when it comes to that chaos that we experienced and that snake that ultimately got killed, we don't care about his tail. <laughs> we don't care about its, its fat, chubby little body. We don't care about his scales. Like all the destruction from that snake came from his mouth. Like that is a whole thing. And the chaos that our family went through because of the mouth of this little snake was crazy. And yet, James is saying, that's your mouth too. Like there's poison inside that mouth. And the destruction that you can cause in what you say, it's a big deal. Think about your life. Think about the relationships you've had breakups you've had, the jobs, the decisions you've made, the things that your your mouth guided you into, both good and bad. Think about how your words have, to a degree, dictated where you are in life. The relationships that are healthy, the relationships that aren't so healthy, and how your words played a role in that. Maybe this question is more relevant. Are you causing destruction right now with the things that you're saying to your spouse, to your coworkers? Are you caught in a pattern of gossip or slander in the things that you do or don't say to God that you know you've got a prayer life that you could be calling out to him, but you're just neglecting him? Your words hold weight. Second thing we see, verses 6 through 9. Your words come from your heart. they got a source. The Bible says it's your heart. Verse 6, it says, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Or, some translations, it's used by the devil. So Satan could be using your words for his purposes. 
And people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. So this is one of the, the, the great you know, perplexities of, of James as a whole, is that he gives us all these action steps. He says, let me call you out. Like it's kind of a rough and gruff epistle. And yet he tells us, here's what you're doing wrong, and here's what you should do right. But then he often says, it's basically impossible. <laughs> so it feels kind of heart. Break, you're like, man, I know I'm doing wrong, and I know I'm supposed to do right, but you're saying, like, I can't do right. Where's the hope in this? Well, we're going to find some hope in just a bit. But he says, no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So, both ways. Look at all the, 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 the descriptive words when it comes to the source. So we're talking about your heart. You ever had someone say, no, I'm, I'm speaking from the heart, compared to like, no, nah, I'm just speaking. Or like the Bible says you're always speaking from the overflow of your heart. It all comes from your heart. That's your source. So if your mouth is wicked, it's because your heart is wicked. And so look, look at all these descriptive words that it has. It says about the source uh, of your words. It's fire, hell itself, that it's wicked, that it's corrupting, that it's restless, that it's evil, that it's deadly poison. This is all these descriptive words about your, your source, your heart. But then there's like just a little bit of hope in it. Because look at verse 9. It says, now with the same mouth, like you can do good or you can do bad. And so you argue like, oh, yeah, okay, that's where I am. That's where I am. So, yeah, verses 7 and 8, they kind of, or 6 and 7, they kind of stink because it's like, and hey, wicked source, your heart is wicked. We know that the heart is deceitful above all things, Scripture tells us. But hey, for me, I'm going to cling to verse 9. Because, you know, my heart is kind of bad, but it's not like crazy bad. And so I'm just going to make sure that I, I, I kind of, you know, watch my mouth a little bit. When I leave this message tonight, I'm going to make sure that I'm just, just got a little bit better rain on it. Until what? You get home? <laughs> Till tomorrow morning, say no one can tame the tongue. Like if you think that you you got a wicked heart, but you're just going to kind of hold it in, it doesn't work that well. It's not good. Let me ask you a, a question. This is a weird question. Let's say hypothetically that you went to a restaurant and you were going to order a sandwich. You knew they had, like, great sandwiches, and so you're pumped about having a sandwich. You'd read all the reviews on Yelp and TripAdvisor and all those things, and you were, you were like, man, this is going to be a good, good sandwich. Now, the waiter or waitress comes out and says, I just wanted you to know um, that the loaves of bread that we're using, like, on, on one end of one of them, we found some mold. Like, it's, a, it's nasty mold. And you can't go anywhere else. You're in, you're in Lukenbach, Texas. You ain't got nowhere else to go, right? So you, you just know, like, I, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat here. You say, here's the two options. We can throw away the whole loaf, right, before we cut into this thing. Or, and if we throw it away, we'll just get a new one for you. Or we can just chop off where we think the mold might be and, and just go with that. How many of you, by raise of hands, would say, let's just go ahead and throw it away and get a new one. 
Anybody? How many of you would be like, no, chop off the mold, you're good? Maybe, maybe one, a little risky. No, like, why would most of us say, hey, just go get a new loaf? Because we know we're paying money for this, and it's the same for the moldy bread or the non-moldy bread, so just go get us some new bread, right? It's the same to us. Now, same question, but you're at home. So you bought groceries, and everyone's chuckling because we all know how we all live, right? You've bought your groceries, you bought your bread, you're going to eat sandwich early in the week, but now it's later in the week. Maybe you got a little hole in that sack, and you're thinking, oh, no, there's mold. But you're thinking, this is like 12, 18, 24 inches, uh, a loaf of bread. But there's a little bit of mold on the end. But you're trying to make a sandwich. You ain't got any more bread. You have to go to the store. Now, do you throw it out, the whole thing, or do you cut it off where it's mold? Do not raise your hand one way or another. I think we know how it works for most of us. Why? What's the difference? Well, because in the restaurant, again, it costs us the same one way or another. So let's just get the whole new loaf. But at home, we already paid the price to get it there. And in order to get a brand new one, we got to go pay the price again. And what James is saying is that your heart is the source of your words, and it's poisonous. It's a moldy loaf of bread. And with Jesus, you can choose to get a brand new heart, one where he has already paid the price. And you don't have to walk around saying, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to come and do this, I'm going to read the Bible, holding on to my old heart, the wicked heart, the one that's poisoned and nasty and corrupt, like James is saying, and then just say, you know what, but I'm just going to cut off, I'm going to cut off some of the mold and just try to tame my tongue a little bit. He said, no, you don't understand. If your heart is wicked, you, you can't tame the tongue. You need a new heart. And some of us, because we think, oh, but it's my old heart. He's saying, throw away the loaf of bread. If you've got a little bit of mold, the whole thing is nasty. And some of us come to church and we want just enough of Jesus that we think will heal us. But we don't want all of him. And we don't want to get rid of our old heart because that takes a lot of effort. And he's saying, I paid the price. You just get to receive the good news. You just get to receive the good news. For years I went to church and I tried to get a little bit of religion. It didn't work too well. I saw just a little bit of life change, but not much. It wasn't until I gave my whole life to Jesus and received a new spiritual heart. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah both tell us that's part of the new covenant to receive a new heart that loves God and and wants to follow him. The words come from your heart. You need a new heart. Last but not least, verse 10, 11, and 12. Third thing we see is our only hope is in Jesus. He continues the thought in verse 10. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. It doesn't make sense. Verse 11. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What he's speaking about here 
James is speaking about the nature of things. He's saying the very nature, like it's not possible. Something is incredibly broken if you're trying to get something from something that just doesn't produce it. And if you're saying, I'm, I'm just going to... I'm just going to kind of break some of these bad habits with my mouth. I know I've been gossiping and slandering. He's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Good luck. You can chop the mold off the end, but eventually you you can get a little bit of that poison off the tongue. You ain't going to have a tongue eventually. Like, Good luck. You need a brand new life, a brand new heart. Luke chapter 7, actually chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says the same thing. Thing. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't, keyword can't, produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. And grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Remember, that's the source. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So we need new hearts. We need new hearts. Let me ask you. Who are you? Because this is an identity issue. Are you a new creation in Christ? Or are you not? Now, James already said, we make many mistakes. So what I'm not saying is, are you perfect? Because I wish that it was this cut and dry in reality in terms of like, oh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you never make mistakes. Well, that would be great. Unfortunately, that would mean none of us could ever follow Jesus. Because we make mistakes. But ultimately, what are you producing? Not just did you make a mistake here or there. But day after day after day, if you're producing with your mouth and your words wickedness, you're probably just wicked. And some of us were playing this 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 juggling act where it's like, well, I, uh, I feel like I can, I can do the Jesus thing, but do the worldly thing and kind of juggle them back and forth. And I don't think the worldly thing is as big of a deal. I think Jesus is more of an influence in my life. And he's saying, stop it. Put the world and its ways away and just follow Jesus. There's going to be a tension in your heart. If you come here teaching on Wednesday night or Sunday, whatever, like for a while, it might be like, okay, this is kind of nice. I like the benefits of uh, of coming to church, right? But then you go to work and you act a fool. You go home and and you're lying to yourself about what you really believe and who you're really following. And that tension is going to grow and grow and grow. And God's saying, you got to stop. You got to stop. You got to pick sides. You got to choose sides. And the beautiful invitation from Jesus is that you can come and rest and become a new creation. So what do we do? Two things we can do. We close this out. We know words matter. They hold weight. Words have a source, and it's your heart. And the only way we're getting a new heart is Jesus. (laughs) 
And there's two things we can do. Number one, we can let Jesus' words make us new. We can accept the invitation to come to him, to become a new creation. He said that he is the way, the truth, the life. He says that he and the Father are one. If you have seen him, you have seen the Father. He says, come and rest, you who are weary and heavy laden. You got burdens? Come lay them down. He says, repent, believe, be baptized. He says, follow me. He invites you to know he's God and that we're not. And that ultimately he died on the cross. You see, it's those beautiful words. When he says, Father, forgive them. When you and I think about our words and the things we've done in the past, the things we've done this week, Jesus' words still trump ours. Father, forgive them. Those are some beautiful words. He says on the cross, it is finished. (laughs) You don't have to just clean up your life and tame your tongue a little bit more. He says, it's finished. I've paid the price on the cross. I can give you a new heart. You just abide in me. Abide in me. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, he said, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You can have a new heart. You can have Christ in your heart. You can have the Holy Spirit in your heart leading you and guiding you. For those of you who are not believers, this is the invitation to become a believer. For those of you who are believers, the question is, where are you abiding? Where are you living? Are you living in Christ? Are you clinging to the rock that is Jesus? This is where our faith is separate from what the world thinks our faith is. The world thinks our faith is a prison. Just a bunch of rules that we come and we're like, oh, you got to do this. Do you hear that sermon the other week? Yeah, they talk about taming the tongue. Good luck, religious people. Have fun with that. And, and if you're religious in that sense, you, then you would think this is a prison. It stinks. We just got more rules than everyone else. But when you cling to Jesus, you realize this is freedom. This is freedom because I don't have to leave here tonight thinking, this is on me to clean up my act. No, this is on Jesus with the rest of our sins 2,000 years ago on a cross. And he paid the price for them. And we can just cling to him. Second thing we can do, we can use our words in a new way. Think about redeeming your words. Think about the value of your words this week as you leave here. Think about making disciples and being active in your faith and helping those around you. Who can you encourage? Who has gone astray? How can you build people up with your words? Maybe you're using the wrong words and that you're you're letting wickedness come through your heart and you're like, okay, I want Jesus to get a hold of me, but I want to be intentional now. Let's be intentional together. And so you're saying, okay, I'm not going to gossip. I'm just going to avoid that situation. I'm not going to slander. I have wickedness that makes me want to slander and I'm giving that to Jesus. I'm going to let him take care of that. Now what? Do I just keep silent? And the gospel says you can't keep silent. You got to share the good news. You've got to build people up in their faith. You've got to encourage them. For some, that's just stopping and saying, you know what? I've been walking with this person for a long time. I've been giving them advice. I'm not going to presume to be a teacher anymore. I'm just going to tell them about Jesus and let Jesus handle this. But maybe you need to have that conversation about Jesus. 
and say, where do you stand? Your words are powerful, particularly when you're sharing Jesus. Maybe it's just a believer who's gone astray a bit, and you're like, you know what, I, we need to have coffee. I don't even know what's going on right now. Maybe I just have a sixth sense. Could be just the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, I need to reach out to you. And so this week you reach out and you say, come on, come over for a meal. We got a home. We got food. Just come over, come over and eat with us. You just ask them, how's it really going? This is the church being the church. God says, your words, you could leave here at night and just be like, man, my words stink. But Jesus is saying, I want, I want to heal you. I want to change your heart. But I want to take those words, I want to redeem them. I want to use them for good and spreading the kingdom of God. You know, when we um, when we went to the ICU in Topeka, we had a little doctor. He was a tiny little guy. Could have been more than five feet tall. And as we learned about him and as he told us about snake venom and envenomation and all this stuff. And he he knew all kinds of stuff. We were impressed with him, my wife being a nurse and me doing just a little bit of EMS stuff back in the day. You can usually tell who knows what they are talking about and who, who doesn't. And um, and he, man, he was just a smart dude. He was even talking about his different students, different doctors here in Salina that uh, learned under him when he had a practice or when he taught for a uh, university down in Wichita. And he, he knew his stuff, but when he came to talk to Silas, he kept saying over and over and over to Silas, you're such an amazing little dude. You are an amazing, amazing, amazing man. He's just talking to my son, and Silas is like, oh, oh, oh. And they men word spread throughout that unit, and nurses were coming in, and every single time that doctor came in, he was encouraging. And we knew on one hand, like, he's got the medicine, and he's got the know-how to take care of this boy. God's using him. But I'll tell you what, in Silas's eyes, it was the words that he used to encourage him, to let him know, dude, you're going to make it through this. And, like, we were amazed. And I looked at Tara after I left. Like, that guy is an encourager. If he's not a follower of Jesus, he would make a really good follower of Jesus because he was building up Silas every time he was around him. And I think as the church, man, we can do that. We've got the great physician. He's got the medicine. He can heal what is broken in us and all throughout this world. And we as the church, man, when we're giving that out, man, let's, let's not make the good news bitter. Let's make it, let's let it be as beautiful as it truly is. Let, let's be encouraging to one another, lift each other up, build each other up with our words. What a beautiful thing that we got before us, an opportunity. Are you going to take it? Because you might not be able to tame your tongue, but Jesus can change your heart. That's how he expands his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God.